Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship Weekly Podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, and um, I'm going to read from there, but before we do, just to give some context to this message, we are in the Lenten season, and uh, the word Lent comes from an old English word meaning springtime, Lichten, and um, the uh, the Latin term for Lent season is quadragesima, uh, uh, which means uh, forty, and uh, or a set of forty. And in Spanish, if you speak Spanish, it's, it's quaresma, and it comes from that word. Uh, and these forty days, which are uh, forty days up till um, up till Easter, that's the days minus the Sundays. Uh, from uh, the beginning of Lent to uh, the period of Easter Sunday is a, was traditionally a time in which uh, new Christians would come and would study and prepare themselves for baptism. Baptisms were often held uh, in two main seasons in the, old, in the old church, in the church of uh, Rome and around the, the Mediterranean in uh, the first uh, three centuries or so, and uh, so uh, Easter and Pentecost were the times of baptism, and there were days leading up to time of baptism. And as uh, people who were coming into the church prepared for baptism, the entire church went through a period of preparation with them, sort of joining with all of those who were preparing to come into the kingdom, joining with them in a meditation uh, on their way to the time of Easter, which was a preparation. Of course, it's a journey to the cross and a journey to the cross and resurrection. And uh, this, this uh, Christian way of organizing the calendar, organizing the year, was a way of preaching the gospel through the normal rhythms of life. And so as we're sort of resurrecting these old uh, ways of doing things, it's a way of incorporating the gospel into our lives in, in new ways, kind of like uh, kneading the, uh, the leaven into a loaf. You just kind of work on it and work on it in lots of different ways, and we see that our hearts are transformed by these kinds of rhythms in our lives, like daily quiet time and like coming every Sunday to, uh, to a worship uh, place. The church is a worshiping community we are the body of people who are learning together to repent and to pray and to serve in the light of our history and our imagination that is teaching us to do so. And that imagination is shaped by the Bible, the Word of God that points to Jesus who is the, the, uh, the focus of our imagination. So the focus of our history and imagination is Jesus Christ in whom we see what it means to live in repentance, prayer, and service. We seek to follow Him, to be His disciples, and to undertake disciplines that such a life requires. As we follow Him, 
we see that we cannot be the church and remain in a closed system of intimate and exclusive relationships through which we are protected from the world. You see, there's this, there is this attitude that is coming up in the world right now. It's on the rise, and these attitudes go rise and flow, rise and fall with with the seasons and with times and epochs. But right now, we're in a season all over the world of nationalism and of and of fear and of protectionism against. Uh, 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 out, uh, the people that we we uh, look like, but when we're the church, we cannot uh, be that kind of fearful people. We're a people of hope, a people that have a different attitude uh, toward the world. So the church is not just uh, sorry uh, to the extent that we actually are being transformed in repentance and prayer and service, we find that we must continually strive to rupture our own boundaries, the borders. Instead of a border guard church, we are a border-breaking church, a border-busting church. The church is just not the church except as it seeks to incorporate within its intimate relationships enemies and strangers. It's repentance and prayer and service is for all people as for as and it's for the world as such and not just for others as christians in the church we are impelled by the very dynamics of what it means to be the church to meet the enemies and strangers of our lives so that is the apostolic, what it means to be the apostolic church, the church that breaks borders and goes to where the enemy is and sees people differently. And uh, so I want to talk about that this morning because that is the road to the cross. That is why Jesus wound up going to the cross because he had this different idea. He lived in, an, in, a, in a world of tremendous protectionism, a Jewish world that looked on everyone else as being less clean than themselves, and looked on even neighbors and friends as people to be afraid of. So there was this tremendous fear. The idea that one of the biggest fears of the ancient world was the evil eye. Have you ever heard of the evil eye? The evil eye is a, is a phenomenon of the uh, eastern, uh, the, the Mediterranean world. Uh, and uh, the evil eye is the idea that if you look at someone with spite or with greed or with anger or with meanness or a desire to ha- with envy, a desire to have what they have, that you actually were cursing them in some way. Uh, and uh, so that spiteful look was something that's, that people saw as a spiritual curse and they were afraid of the evil eye. And so there were all sorts of things that Jews and non-Jews did to defend themselves from the evil eye of others. And we're going to see that Jesus talks about the evil eye, but He talks about it in a different way. He reverts, He changes it, and He says, look, it's not the evil eye that other people have that you need to be afraid of. It's your evil eye that you need to be afraid of. That's why this whole sermon 
is a sermon about repentance. It, it tells us what it means to repent for the kingdom of God has come near. That's what this sermon is describing, that, that life of repentance, that life that turns to God, that turns away from selfishness and grasping and, and uh, that kind of evil, that uh, uh, m- malice and that looking down on others and, and, and say, saying you fool to others and that kind of, that kind of life and that, that life that judges others. Uh, and uh, create and 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 comes out then in a different kind of life, a life of generosity, a life of grace. So uh, it's not uh, surprising that Jesus opens up the sermon with blessings. He uh, and if you want to follow along with me in my note in the notes, if you have your app uh, and turn to sermon notes, you'll find. Uh, Jesus and Overcoming Evil. It's in the Road to the Cross series. And uh, the main thing that I want to say today, and I'd like for you to take with you today, is that Jesus teaches us a new way of seeing others. Jesus teaches us a new way of seeing others, the Bible, seeing the Bible and seeing ourselves. And we could even say Jesus teaches a new way of seeing everything. The key to changing the world is by changing the way we see everything. And so there is this focus in the Sermon on the Mount on the eyes. And we're going to see this in Matthew chapter uh, uh, 6, verse uh, 22 through 23. Uh, wait, just as I get there, I didn't turn when you did, so uh, I'll have to catch up. So 6, 22 and uh, 23 the eye is the lamp of the body and that's important because um, the ancient world saw the eye as different than what we see we see the eye as the camera of the body and the reason we see the eye as the camera of the body is that our technology tells us something different it tells us that the eye is a light receptor it receives an image, it's a re- image that's turned upside down just like a camera, and your brain turns it right side up and tells you what the, uh, it tells you what's outside, right? That's the way a camera operates. But in the ancient world, the idea was, and this was widespread all over the world, that the eye is a lamp of the body. Uh, we see this also in Proverbs 20, 20. I, I like that uh, verse because it talks about its 2020 vision. Uh, that whoever curses his father and mother, his lamp will go out in the deepest darkness, talking about his eyes. He won't be able to see his life. He won't be able to see people around him in a proper perspective if his relationship with his parents has not been resolved, has not been resolved into blessing. If it, if, so if you curse your father and mother, your lamp will go out in deepest darkness. Well, Jesus says your eyes, the eye is the lamp of the body. He's not telling us something scientific. He's just following, he's starting with where people were thinking and so they, so that they could follow along with him. So they go, okay, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. We get that. We understand that. We know that. And so he says, if your eyes are healthy, and the word healthy here is haplus in Greek, and it means, uh, uh whole or generous. And uh, so, and really generous would be a better translation. 
your whole body will be full of light. So if your eyes are generous, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are evil, and uh, this, uh, this translation says unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So if your, if your eyes are generous, your body will be full of light. If your eyes are evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And so the contrast is between generous eyes and evil eyes. And uh, it's uh, let let me um, let me stress here that we you know we're not we, it's difficult for us to think this way and this is the kind of thing that I have to share uh, with groups that I talk to about Bible translation. I'm a Bible translation consultant, and uh, often uh, translations will differ in very difficult uh, verses like this. For example, you probably are reading different translations out there from what I just read. And you might find bad, I don't know, how many, what other words instead of healthy are there out there? Huh? Good, okay, what else? Anything else? Okay, well, here is uh, the easy to read translation. It says, uh, and I, I really like this one. The way you look at people shows who you really are. If you look at people in an unselfish way, you will be full of light. But if you look at them in a greedy way, you will be full of darkness. And if all that is seen in you is darkness, you have the worst kind of darkness. So the stress between, between good or wishing good and evil and malice. Uh, the way we see people and things around us and the world around us is really important. Uh, there is a blessing in the Old Testament. It's uh, uh, Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 and following, and you can see it up here in Hebrew and in English. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace. Wonderful blessing. And the great thing is that when Jesus Himself begins this sermon, He begins with blessing. So He's showing us that the Father and Himself, when He looks at people that are broken and sinful and evil, has in his heart toward them what? Blessing. There is blessing overflowing in his heart toward the people that came to him who were broken and were in need of a Savior. So Jesus sees us with unbounded generosity. That's, that's a great... Go ahead and flip to the next, next screen. Jesus sees us with unbounded generosity. This is a picture of Jesus as artists who are looking at a, uh, a first century Jew uh, would see him. They got this from some skulls of first century Jewish men. And uh, I thought it would be good to put up uh, here because uh, it makes a picture of Jesus that doesn't look like the kind of Jesus we normally paint, right? 
He looks like a Middle Eastern Jesus. Well, indeed, he is a, he was a Middle Eastern Jesus, right? Right? So he's not a, a Texas kind of looking guy. Or if he was a Texas looking guy, he looks like somebody from south of the border, right? All right. So this is our Jesus. And when we go to heaven to meet with him, we will meet a Jesus like the one that he, that he was incarnated to be. So he doesn't look like us. Uh, go to the next one. Uh, this is a representation from a Jewish synagogue in Dura Europus in Syria. It was painted, and this the, the synagogue was painted with all sorts of scenes from the Bible, and this is one such of those scenes uh, where Moses is represented by a Jew from the second century. Uh, and so it's very interesting what Moses was supposed to look like to a Jew, another Middle Eastern man, right? Okay, go to the next one. So uh, this idea of blessing or light shining from the face as that uh, blessing says, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make His face shine upon you, is something that was well known all over the ancient Near East. So a thousand years before uh, the Old Testament, was a, there was a city called Ugarit, and uh, one of the goddesses of Ugarit was named Gula. And uh, here is a prayer to Gula, and Gula is a minor goddess who uh, might help uh, a worshiper uh, get closer to the big god, uh, Marduk, and uh, a Syrian god. And uh, so Gula's, uh, this prayer to Gula is, turned her countenance toward me, the king, with a shining face, she faithfully looked at me and actually caused the god, god Marduk to show mercy. So the shining face is this, this uh, idea of looking at someone with grace and with kindness and with generosity. All right, um, so go to the next one. This is an Egyptian jar stand uh, from uh, about the uh, third millennium B.C. And uh, in the, on this prayer, on this uh, jar stand, we find, live for me, this is a prayer to the deceased person, live for me, the great one shall praise you, and the face of the great God will be gracious over you. He will give you pure bread with his two hands. So the idea of being gracious to someone is also connected with the idea of being generous. You see this shining face, generosity. It's an ancient, uh, an ancient thing. All right, so let's go on to this evil eye idea. The Judeans actually use this prayer that we quoted before from Leviticus chapter 6, verse 24 and following. Use this prayer uh, to uh, ward off the evil eye. And this, and we know this because uh, these, these little scrolls here, they're silver scrolls, were discovered outside of Jerusalem in the valley called Gehenna or uh, uh, Hinnom and in a place where uh, people were buried. And so there are a bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of ruins of uh, a cemetery out there. And in one of them, a little 13-year-old boy found a scroll all, uh, all rolled up. His, he was uh, uh, doing some excavation for Dr. Gabriel Barkaya. I had a chance to meet him in Israel. And he uh, carefully unrolled this scroll, go back to the previous one, and uh, discovered these two uh, quotations of that, uh, of that 
a prayer from Leviticus, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord, or that blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord uh, make His face shine upon you. And, uh, and this, these were the oldest, the most, the, the most ancient writings from the Old Testament ever discovered. 6th century B.C. Before then, liberal scholars had said all of these, all of the, the Bible writings were invented much later in the uh, 4th or 5th century. But here we have a 6th century B.C. from the time of Jeremiah uh, a quotation of that uh, prayer, of that blessing from, uh, from Numbers. So they use this uh, to ward off uh, the powers that spiteful looks could damage another person's health or fertility or property. Go to the next one. And then the next one. Uh, there is a preamble uh, on each one of those prayers to the prayer. And it says this, May he or she be blessed by God, the rescuer and the rebuker of the evil. In other words, the shining face of God is the opposite. It's a countermeasure to the evil eye, according to this ancient blessing amulet, Jewish blessing amulet. It's a countermeasure. Now, the evil eye appears, just as we've read already, in, in various places. Uh, it could be in more than one place in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. For example, Matthew 5.37, say only yes if you mean yes, and say only no if you mean no. If you say more than that, it is from the evil, is what it says in Greek. The evil. So it could be either evil impulse inside of our hearts, or evil I, or evil one, or it could be all of those together as general evil. Okay? So the, the and Matthew 6.13, the end of the Lord's Prayer, says, don't let us be tempted, but save us from the evil. What's the evil that we need to be saved from? Well, it's the evil impulse in our hearts. It's the evil eye, the way we see people. And it's the evil one, of course, the devil who manipulates us through our evil impulses. Go to the next one. Matthew 6, 22, 23, we've already seen. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is generous, it will be full of light. If your eye is evil, you'll be full of darkness. And if the only light you have is really darkness, you have the worst kind of darkness. Matthew 7, 11, You who are evil still know how to give good things to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask Him? So in, in spite of the fact that we are evil, grasping, selfish, greedy, uh, spiteful, and we have all that, we still have within us an impulse for good, don't we? <laughs> we know how to give good things to our kids. So we have God has something to build on, which is good. Uh, and uh, and yet uh, he has to do a lot of deconstruction before he can really build on that. Okay, so uh, we've seen those. Uh, the evil eye in Jewish life. Uh, so there is a, uh, it, starting with the 6th century B.C. and going all the way to the 10th century A.D., we have this uh, sermon uh, from another, from a Jewish rabbi, we don't know his name, but it's a medieval Jew Jewish sermon on the priestly blessing. It's on this uh, Numbers. And it says, 
with this sermon. When Israel made the tabernacle, the Holy One, blessed be He, gave them the blessing first in order that no evil eye might affect them. Accordingly, it is written, the Lord bless you and keep you, namely, from the evil eye. So, Jews were believing this from the 6th century B.C. to the 10th century A.D. This is a widespread belief within Judaism. All right? So, now, do you mind that I'm giving... It's a bit technical. This is stuff that I teach translation. Huh? Is it okay? Is it all right? I hope I'm not boring you. So, this sermon bears witness to an enduring, widespread Jewish practice. All right, let's go to the next one. So, the Sermon on the Mount is basically a prescription. Remember, Jamie said it was all about relationships. And we're getting into the thick of how what we mean by it being all about relationships. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is teaching us a new way to see ourselves and God and others. He's giving us new eyes. So if, we're go- if we have to pluck out our eye, that is, repent, then He's going to give us new eyes to see. You see? So God, we first see that God is a good Father and Jesus is a helpful, wise brother. God sends Jesus and Jesus heals. And we also uh, hear from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that we need to recognize our need. This is from the the uh, blessings, the, the Beatitudes. Recognize your need. Humble yourself. Mourn for the evil you have caused others. Purify your heart. Get hungry for God. Practice mercy. Realize the potential light that a life turned toward God can have. He goes on and when he talks about adultery, he says, pluck out your eye. <laughs> if a person, if a man looks at a woman to lust in his heart, that's, that's looking with the evil eye, looking at with that grasping and that desiring to possess and that wanting for self. What's the problem there? It's the way we see a woman, men. And so what do we need to do? Jesus is saying, look, pluck out that eye. Weep and mourn for this thing that you know you have in you. God's going to give you a new eye. Receive His new way of seeing women and others. Okay, so read the Bible differently, He says. Uh, you have heard that I, it was said, but I say to you. That's over and over again. So there's a new way of reading with our seeing. See others as human beings and treat them as sensitive, weak, and lovable people. Do this for your family members, for friends, and for enemies. That's just a summary of what he talks about relationships in, in uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount. Number four, practice generosity but not to draw attention to yourself. Because there is a way of practicing religion, a way of doing disciplines that is actually harmful. There's a way of reading the Bible that is harmful for you spiritually. There's a way of going to church that is harmful for you spiritually. Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter uh, 11, he said, now, in what I have to tell you next, I don't praise you. I, I don't praise you at all. He said, in fact, your coming together when you meet is for your harm, not for your good. 
So any of the things that we can do in, in our uh, walking with Jesus, our religious uh, functions, the reading, the, the, daily, the daily quiet time, even the prayers, if we have the wrong eye, if we have a spiteful, grasping, desiring, wanting something for self, and as we go about doing those things, they can actually harm us. Because before all those things has to come repentance. Has to come a turning away from self and turning to God. Number five, uh, pray a simple prayer. You know, uh, I, I love it the way uh, Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. It's not difficult. It's not out of reach. In fact, if you just read the Lord's Prayer with a broken heart, wanting God's agenda for your life, that is enough. You don't have to be a, uh, a, a, uh, uh, a savant, an advanced person in prayer. You can just start there. The amazing thing is, if you keep doing that, you will become a very deep person. A person totally transformed by Jesus. You know, one of the times, one, one time my, uh, one of my professors said, you know, reading the Lord's Prayer can be a very, very good discipline. In fact, just think about it, men. Reading the Lord's Prayer, just simply reading it, is better than watching pornography. I really appreciated that professor's word for me uh, and word for us. In, uh, this was way back in uh, seminary. Uh, and I thought, oh my goodness, that's right. You know, it doesn't take uh, a tremendous strategy to overcome an evil. It takes a very simple thing, like maybe just stopping and saying, you know, I think I'll read the Lord's Prayer instead. Just think about it. Forgive as you've been forgiven is number six. Number seven, serve God, not money. Your priority is advancing the kingdom of God. In fact, this verse about the evil eye and the generous eye is sandwiched right between two words about money. You can't serve God and money. So this thing about the evil eye and the generous eye has to do specifically in its context about money and about desiring money. And so again, another reason why uh, generous eye and evil eye is a better translation than good eye and bad eye because what, what cures a good eye, a bad eye? A, ba a bad eye perhaps is cured by a salve or maybe today we say glasses. It's a banal reading of that verse. It doesn't mean anything, doesn't help us. But when we see it as an evil eye and generous eye uh, verse, then we really see something deep there. Chapter uh, number eight, don't put yourself in the judge's seat. This is another I passage. In chapter uh, 7 of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of Matthew, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. Why do you do that? 
How can you say, let me take the speck of speck from your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in the other person's eye. You see, this is all about the evil eye versus the generous eye. The plank in the eye is an evil, definitely an evil eye. It's a bad eye. <laughs> and it's not going to see things very clearly. And Jesus is saying where we start, we start with self. We don't read the Scripture thinking, you know, that's really good for John. I, I really think this is a good passage for X, Y, or Z. You know, constantly deflecting because we just assume that we're in the okay zone, right? But Jesus is saying, look, 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 look. Don't put yourself in the okay zone. Recognize who you are and recognize how deep this evil goes. Just think about it. How often have I inside said things that sounded good, but really there was spite inside, inside of that, that's wrapped up in that apparent gift? How, how often have I uh, uh, said and thought things that were judgmental to people? They sound all right on the outside. Christians have an amazing way of dressing up evil with good-sounding words. And so one of the things that Jesus wants, wants us to do is take all this mask, masquerade off and expose the evil that we, we know is inside of us if we'll just sit and think and get out of the judge seat. Get out of the hypocrite seat. Get out of that, uh, get, get, pluck that evil eye out. Get that log out. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us so clearly. It's time for us to draw this message to a close. And I really appreciate you taking just a, having just a little bit of patience with me as I went through some, you know, some kind of difficult things, complicated things, and a little bit heavy, but really, Jesus says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He says, turn to me. He, he teaches us a simple prayer. He tells us to turn our eyes to him. He says, he, re he tells us to recognize that the way we see is already messed up. And so we need to, to, instead of trying to be, defend ourselves from the evil of others, we need to realize that our worst enemy is right here inside of our heart. This is the road to the cross. This is the road that following Jesus leads us to. And a place where that old person dies and a new, wonderful person rises from the dead and from the ashes and looks more like Jesus. Stand up. Uh, praise team can go ahead and come up. and We're going to uh, close out the service with a time of ministry and just really appreciate the patience you've had this morning. I don't know about you, but this simple gospel, simple words of Jesus have such power to transform. Jesus said, the words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. He talked about the Scriptures. You know, uh, you think that within the Scriptures you have eternal life, but the Scriptures speak of Me. So really, the whole thing that what we want to, what we want to look at in theology and the Bible and all of that, it really comes down to something very simple. Turning our hearts to Jesus 
Seeing Him will transform the way we see everything. Ourselves, the world, others, the problems that we have. It's a simple step of repentance. I want to ask you if you've been touched, if you think you need, you, you just feel the desire for prayer, then just come forward. One of these uh, wonderful people will pray for you, lay hands on you, uh, uh, be with you in that struggle, in that moment. It's wonderful to receive prayer. Thank you, Lord.